Hi there. Thank you for downloading, listening to, and watching the Lean Into Artcast, the show where a couple of visual, visual storytellers get together and take on various topics that tend to uh, come to mind when you embark on this endeavor of communicating with images. We think hard about this stuff, so you will too. My name is Jersey Drozd. I am a cartoonist and a teaching artist, and the other host is... Hey, I am Rob Stenzinger, and I'm a user experience designer and facilitator, and also I, I like to make video games. Good to see you again, Rob, doing another daytime recording as we continue to mm-hmm. experiment with different rec- recording times. Is it looking like to you, at least right now, that switching to daytime streams and recordings is going to work a little bit better? I think I would like to keep trying this. It's, uh, it's a, it feels really different because there was a certain stability to the, the, the Thursday night time, um, but, but it's also kind of neat to, to change it up, and it, I think this can work. It feels different to me. I mean, I feel a little bit more, well, see, right now, okay, let me try to truncate a long story. I recently moved to another state because Anne got a new job at the Billy Ireland Cartoon Library and Museum, and I'm living in an apartment for a year, and so I feel, when we record at night, I feel an extra obligation to keep it quiet. Like, when I was in my own house in the basement, I felt like I could be loud and effusive, but this feels like, I feel like I have more license to be the more exuberant version of myself when we record in the daytime. I don't know if any of the leaners picked up on that in the difference between some episodes from say like a month ago versus now, but I feel different about it. So there's that. Um for better or worse, right? <laughs> <laughs> get get uh full full jersey mode uh <laughs> once again. No, I I didn't realize it until you just said it. I I think the energy's a little bit different. And yeah. um part of that could be the daytime thing or part of it could be just the, um, that, that subtle difference because I think it was pretty subtle. You've still like got lots of, um, lots of, lots of the Jersey energy, but, but it had, there's, but there's a, I it it just seemed more contemplative a little bit more. Mm. And I don't know if I'm imagining, imagining that now in hindsight, but I kind of feel like you're right. So this'll be interesting. Yeah, going forward, I, I feel like uh, this will be a fun thing to keep playing around with doing this daytime stream. And I know we had some uh, people who are very loyal and um, committed to showing up on Thursday nights. And, you know, I'm still thinking about them as we do this because, you know, it's like, but but as we form or uh, fall into a new schedule, maybe hopefully some of those people will be able to come back to showing up for the live streams. Um, but... We did, every week we do the show, we pick a topic, we drill all the way down on the topic, but every once in a while, we try to remind ourselves to play because we don't want to glamorize this thing called effort. We don't want to uh, turn um, you know, burnout and exhaustion into some kind of badge of courage, uh, you know, remind mm-hmm. ourselves every once in a while to back away and charge those batteries, uh, engage with the world in different ways of, of uh, playfulness and, and uh, diversion and relaxation. And those episodes we call reading, watching, playing. So it's a little bit less of a, of a deep dive, but more of a, uh, a survey of things that we're engaging with and why. And in the second half of the show, I thought, Rob, maybe we could talk a little bit about some interactions we've been having with the people who look, uh, interact with the show, uh, messages we've gotten from the leaners. What do you say? I think it sounds really it sound it sounds awesome. I think uh we can't talk you and I about anything without having 
extra thoughts about it and describing it and exploring it and what have you. Even extra lean where we're like, we're, we're, we're plugging, Hey, extra lean. It's all, it's, it's off the cuff and yeah. Whoo. All right. Here, you know, here we go. Every, almost every time it's, there is no romper room, playful all the time. (laughs) Silly time. Uh, We, we, we joke and it's a little more cheeky, but we have to dive into stuff. We just have to. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of it's kind of who we are for again, for better or worse. I think for better. So, let's well, let's Yeah, I mean, that's that's what you're here for. I mean, that's on the ingredients for the, for this for this product. You know, if it, yeah, if this is not your jam, then, you know, other products are out there. That's true. So, okay, well then that, I'll take that as a sign to dig into it and hit the music. Ah, there we go. We are now that, that music signals the transition from opening of the show to now we're into topic time, which is reading, watching, playing. These are the episodes we do where we just talk about things that we are reading, watching, and or playing. Um, take a couple from each category, maybe one from each category. Rob, do you want to start? What are you reading, watching, or playing, or finding mm-hmm. helpful in your life right now? Well, uh, one I'm really excited about is it's a... It's a game that I think was a successful Kickstarter that um, that I got off of of Steam, and it's called uh, Micromages. And what's real? It's very minimalist. It's very like it's not just themed in a in a way that's nostalgic and classic. And oh, this is kind of like you sort of fuzzily remember the NES being. They literally made a game that runs on the NES. And then you can what? Buy I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, it, it's a cartridge that runs on the NES. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and it's and it's not just a just a gimmick or whatever. I I mean, what an interesting constraint. It must have been super hard to do this, in my opinion. But but a fascinating exercise as far as learning tons of stuff, which they share some of the things that they learned in a video that I, we should put totally link in the show notes too. Um, where okay, so Micromage is the game. Uh, it's fun single player. I haven't had a, the chance yet to play it uh, in multiplayer, but it's kind of couch co-op. Um, you know, you're, you're this, this little mage that can kind of, you know, launch a little wave of energy in any direction. But there's a there's a lot of neat feel to it. The jumping on the character feels good. They're, the animation is really cute and minimalist, but feels great. Uh, and you can shoot these waves in you know different directions. You also g- can get a power-up to have like this long hovering jump, and you can get a power-up that is just basically lets you take an extra hit. So if you have both of these things, you can take a couple of hits. Um, and then you just need to get yourself up a level. It, it's a vertical scrolling thing. So if you th- think about like Mario Brothers, that's going to be a side-scrolling and uh but but sort of a long map to get to the end right and with or obstacles bu- in the way it, it reminds me of bubble boggle the uh, bubble bobble or bubble boggle the the one with the two cute little dragons from uh yeah. go up and up and up or down and down and down whichever which direction they go um totally yeah good point yeah and the animation is super smooth and it's super cute um and wow. what's neat is like you can you can have four of these little mages um trying to get through the levels. And I imagine that would be pretty darn fun. So I can't wait to try that out at some point. But um, yeah. So how does, how, I mean, when you buy it on Steam, they mail you a cartridge? No. Uh, <laughs> no, okay. you can play it. Um, so right now uh, I run it on my little uh, Windows Surface 
Um, okay. but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, so I don't know if they're planning on a Mac port. Uh, there's, I, I don't know how they sort of wrapped their game, but you think about, they built something that can run on the NES with very severe constraints of that platform. Uh, modern computers are far more powerful. And so I imagine they have some way to wrap this, this game that they, they built and put it into an emulating environment. Okay. So I would guess, I don't know, um, because it's, they probably didn't recode it for all the different platforms. So it is 1099 currently for Windows. Mm. Um, well, at least the, the app that I'm seeing in the store uh, mm-hmm. says it just has the Windows logo. I don't see a Mac logo. Yeah, I, um, yeah, I, don't, I don't know if they have a Mac version plan. So I thankfully have a, a Windows device available. And uh, yeah, that's, uh, it's, it's really fun. I've, I've actually, I've, I've gotten to like level three and it's one of those things where it, uh, it gives you a little code when, once you like complete, there's sort of like, what was it? Three, I think three stages or something like that. Three stages, then a boss. That's the kind of the pattern. And, uh, the stages are randomized and different every time I think, um, I'll have to, I haven't played it. A, I haven't gone back and replayed the different, whatever, uh, but there's, but I, I don't know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have a problem if they weren't different. Um, when when you replayed, uh, I might be recalling that that part incorrectly. But uh, anyway, it's um, what what else is it? Oh yeah, and then how they they share a bit about how they make it. made the game. It's um, talking thinking about the constraints of like sprite optimization. Super fascinating, like twelve minute video. I recommend checking out if you're curious about it this kind of thing at all because um i mean they t- they sort of set it up almost like a, like a heist in a way without where it's where they're like these are the constraints of this platform and it's pretty severe if you want to put it make, make a game with like th- these you know uh with with these different features you know there's there's a lot of limits you'll face and then if you want to have essentially uh, a sprite that moves like mario it takes up you know this much of the me- available memory well so they decided to make their sprite smaller, the sprite being the little animated main moving character. But then there's other sprites and there's like enemies and bosses. And so they took the, they, in the video, they go through and, and describe how just that first boss, if they sort of just threw out, like, like when I make a game in, you know, or, you know, like I'm working on a, a frame-based sprite animation for this Panda needs you or new games I'm working on in unity. Um, it's uh I, I'm, I have it easy. I just have the whole drawing and then another drawing and then another drawing. Yay. I just draw stuff and that displays it in sequence. That's an animation. That's fine. But here they, they chunk it up into these tiny eight by eight squares. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and they deal with, and so then they, they try to optimize by saying like, well, if the boss is this shape, what squares can we reuse? And so they create this, this map um, that can, make tiles flipped ver- horizontally or ver- vertically and, and um, end up being the same to, you know, use up less memory. Anyway, fun video. It, resulting in a game that it, they said in the, the trailer video, 40 kilobits or kilobytes. Yeah. 40 KB. Remember KB, Rob? Remember when that was like a measurement of data? <laughs> I know. I, I Yeah. Like, I just... I, we're all just data wealthy, right? We're just silly, silly rich with 
we can store so much doesn't matter we can make tons of stuff we can i yeah this i mean recording this the video whatever i mean it's stunning the amount of data we can mess around with then yeah 40 kilobytes what it, it, yeah, it, it it does make me think of like how like in Wild West movies, somebody's like they throw a quarter on the counter and like, oh, I'll, you know, give me a bottle of whiskey in a room for the night. You know, it's like a quarter bought so much back then. You know, uh-huh. it's like 40 kilobits give you an entire game. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty stunning. Different world. Um, and but, how neat that they they made that part of their project. And, and that's a constraint. So we'll link to that. Uh, it's a video where they explain the process. Yep. Okay. Cool. All right. Jersey, what are you? What do you want to talk about first? Uh, well, I just finished watching something. Um, I don't get a lot of time to watch television shows as as much as I would like to, and um, the show. I found another one on Amazon Prime. Uh, I know before I've talked about the the Tick series, which I really enjoyed. Um, and I saw people talking about this show called Good Omens based on a Terry Pratchett, Neil Gaiman book. And I thought, okay, what the heck? You know, a lot of people seem to, I've saw a lot of fan art happening in my feeds about it. And so, uh, let's give it a try and see what it's about. Have you heard of this at all, Rob? I've definitely heard of it. It was, um, Instagram marketed to me quite thoroughly. Oh, really? Yeah. I I wonder why. Huh. I don't know, <laughs> but I've not seen it. <laughs> okay, so well, the the premise is is that it is um it's well let's see let me try to do the I'll just I'll just go with the heart of the show and then I can back up to like the details of the show because like some of the details were like very I found very charming but the heart of the show is it's about an angel and a demon and we're watching them go through history and w- unwittingly becoming best friends like that's that's the like the the central the thing that makes the show what it is. Um, so it's, it starts with the expulsion from Eden, and you see those two demons, like the demon and the angel standing there on the wall as Adam and Eve are being kicked out into the world and sort of reflecting on what, what just happened. Um, and then it goes all the way up to modern day, where, and this is where the parts that I found very charming, because I think we've talked about this in the show in the past, that I have an affinity for, I don't really like horror as a genre a whole lot, except for very certain kinds of horror, right? Like I love like 50 sci-fi horror. I love corny campy, like hammer horror films with the bright red blood and, you know, um, the, the kind of goofy and sometimes sexy stuff. Uh, but, um, but I don't like, you know, murder movies. I don't like, I don't, I don't really care for, um, gory stuff. Um, suspense. Eh, it's okay. I could take it or leave it. Uh, but I really enjoy, Movies about Satan. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And I've explained it before, like, just for anybody who hasn't heard me talk about it, it's like, there's something that feels mythological about a horror film about Satan, right? Because now we're talking about, like, the the titanic powers of the heavens and, like, great, um, you know, uh, what's it called? Not philosophies, but, like, when you predict something. What is that called? I'm blanking on the word. Like, prophecies and things like that. Oh, right, right, right. 
Right. So like like the Prince of Darkness is my number one all time favorite horror film. John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness, which is about a bunch of physicists, physicists locked up in a church as as the, the, the beginning of the apocalypse is coming. And like there's all these signs that they're not seeing because they don't believe in this stuff. And there's this priest, Donald Pleasance, who's trying to warn them, you know, but uh, but then, then they actually find like some kind of metaphysical arguments for what Satan is. And it's just it's it's not high science and it's not you know, like uh, great literary storytelling, but it's the kind of horror movie that I really enjoy. And this has <laughs> elements of that in that they kind of do some send-ups to uh, the Omen series. Are you familiar with that? Uh, I'm, I'm aware of it. I've never, I never watched it. Though. So, so th- there's three movies in the original Omen series, and I think the first one got remade. I can't remember if they remade any of the other ones, but the first one is about a, a little boy who is the Antichrist, and he is uh, through this scheme with these, uh, you know, corrupted. Um, I think I think they're nuns and priests. They switch babies so that the Antichrist, who is born from a jackal, is given to this very influential U.S. ambassador played by Gregory Peck, and the whole movie is about him learning and not believing that his son is the son of Satan, right? And if he lets his son live, you know, he'll bring oh, about boy. the apocalypse. And so he's faced with this really terrible decision, right? Well, and, and so you know how badly it ends if, if you know that there's three movies, and we get all the way up to where Damien, the Antichrist, becomes president or is running for president of the United States. And it's, it's a sometimes silly, sometimes ridiculous, but sometimes very, like, dreadful uh, <laughs> horror series. Uh, I had no idea. And this has been around forever, right? I mean, this, well, so I, I assume they completed the series. Um, they, co- they completed the series in the early 80s. And I okay. think, uh, I, if I remember right, Sam Neill, is that his name? The guy from Jurassic Park played Damien as an adult. Um, the second movie is oh. about him as a teenager going, you know, learning his, about his, his heritage. Uh, like when he's a little boy, he doesn't know. But then when he's a teenager, he discovers who he is. And then mm-hmm. the, in the third movie, he's accepting who he is. And now he's going about his, his dark father's plan. Anyway, so there's like some like asides and references to that series in this, in that early on, the Antichrist is born in the story. And then the, the nuns have like a mix up because another, another couple shows up who like their car got stuck on the road or whatever. And like, she's about to have the baby. So they have like three babies that they're juggling. And it's so like, there's this mismatch and the Antichrist, instead of going to the ambassador goes to like this normal couple in this like small rural town kind of thing. And so the angel and the, the demon lose track of the baby. And meanwhile, they've fallen in love with the earth they don't want to see it destroyed, so they concoct their own scheme to try to like halt the apocalypse. What, but at the same time, they don't know where the Antichrist is. So there's there's like a little bit of like some um, uh, there's a little bit of a screwball comedy element to it as well. But it's mostly ah. the ticking heart of it is is this really rich friendship between these two people from very different worlds. Um, so I wound up liking it quite a bit uh, more than I thought I was going to. So I recommend it. Good omens. Oh, that sounds fantastic. Huh. Uh, yeah. It, okay. That's, that's really cool. And, and uh, gosh, you, you, and even the, would you recommend going back and seeing the old, uh, the old stuff you mentioned too? Like, oh, I, I actually, I still, I rewatched the Omen as recently as five years ago and I still, I really enjoy it. Um, first of all, it's got Gregory Peck. Gregory Peck is awesome. Okay. Um, it's got, um, oh, I always blank on the actor's name. He's this fantastic British actor. He played 
the bad guy in Tron. He played uh, he played the devil in Time Bandits. Uh, he also played Ra's al Ghul in Batman the Animated Series. And some, but people listening right now are shouting his name at me. I'm sorry, I can't hear you because I'm in the past and you're in the future. Um, <laughs> David Warner. David Warner is his name. See, you you did. You sent your message back in time using tachyons, just like in the Prince of Darkness, and it went into my brain. So David <laughs> Warner. Um, he plays this photographer who like he's one of the first people who's like he doesn't believe it but then because he's taking these pictures and he's seeing these signs in the pictures he starts to uncover the truth and like the 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 thing to track in the omen is once they know the truth you know that they're going to die pretty soon and they're going to die in a way that the photos predict and it's it's uh, so it's got like this kind of like and when i was watching it with ann i'm like this is one of my favorite movies and we're watching it she's like how can this be one of your favorite movies it's so dreadful because you're watching all of this like as everybody gets close to the truth, they get snuffed out of the picture, right? And so you know that inevitably all of the characters we're following are going to be gone, right? Mm-hmm. And, it, and it does, and this is the thing I like about these kind of movies, is that I feel like they have license to end very unhappily. I, I, it, something feels false if a movie of that, or, of that nature or a story of that nature ends happily for everybody. So, okay. um, so you don't feel betrayed or disappointed. You're like, it's about learning... How how bad does this go? Yeah, 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 yeah. And, okay. and, and and again, because it feels like it's like on a mythological level, I don't feel quite as burdened by that feeling. It's more like it's it's like going on a ride. It's like it's it's a safe space to feel that sort of dread. Whereas if I were to say like you know, there's that movie that came out a few years ago called The Road. Once I heard the plot, I read about the plot of it. I'm like, I I could not sit through that movie because that feels too close to what could be right this is like a not a safe place for me to be as far as feeling sure. that feeling of dread so um, yeah that's so interesting i i i'm in, i'm in a similar boat where um there i i like a recipe of a, a little bit of um maybe plausible fantasy but like implausible enough where it's it's in a different context and so then that new context makes it safe um it's kind of yeah. like uh, in video games, I, I like something like a uh, like a Halo from time to time, space aliens, that kind of stuff. Whereas uh, even something like um, oh, what's it called, uh, uh, Just Cause or something, because I can't even I flat out don't don't play the ones that are hyper military because that's people, and I'm like, it's sad. Yeah. I don't want to do that. Yeah. Uh, and uh, but enough fantasy, I'm like, I'm all in. It's mechanically very similar i get it but but something that 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 purpose is different enough i don't know how that's crazy powerful isn't it yeah like it is I mean, buy in or or or, or check out yeah with- yeah i i totally get it there was a uh a he-man tappers of grayskull game for mobile platforms and it was basically you played these tapper games right where you're just like hitting people until they turn into coins and you get enough coins you can buy more power-ups or buy more characters that kind of thing Mm -hmm. and then if you get tired of tapping you can always pay money so you can get your merman figure into the game um and (laughs) i started playing it and it was like it it was cute and the designs were all really cute and i liked seeing all the characters but like something felt like there was a a uh, cognitive dissonance in using he-man to using his sword to like hit bad guys right Mm because he doesn't do that right like that it, it felt too too inappropriate uh and it's the same mm-hmm. thing like 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 resident evil which we talked about in this show before like i love that game because you're shooting zombies 
Like, so it, 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 it hits that pituitary gland, that lizard brain thing in me where it's like, kill enemies, right? But mm-hmm. it like, it, it's, it's safely distant enough that my prefrontal cortex isn't like getting like, whoa, what's going on here? What are you doing? <laughs> they're monsters. <laughs> hey, can't we just think about this? You know? <laughs> but when, but there was, um, Have you tried talking to the zombie. <laughs> So yeah, so there was a, like back in like 1999, 2000, there was a PlayStation game for the Phantom Menace, and I don't know if you ever played it, hmm. but um, but there was you no. know it, it was it was a serviceable adventure game. It, it wasn't super awesome. It was like 1999 PlayStation, right? So like you'd only do so much. It was it was good for what it was, but it wasn't like mm-hmm. you know it wasn't Mario 64. But like there was at one point, I was like going through these catacombs as like Qui Gon, and I had my lightsaber out, and I accidentally killed a non-combatant like npc in the game on player character and i was really impressed with the game designers because then they had everybody like all the other characters of the game turned on qui-gon said it's the killer get him get the killer and so then everybody started attacking qui-gon and there was like no way out of that place without fighting a whole bunch of innocent people so yeah (laughs) what a twist (laughs) so yeah, I thought I thought that was a neat thing to include in there to like remind you, like, yeah, you know what, like what you're doing is like fun fantasy, and it's it's like uh, on a different, you know, it's detached from real life. But like, let's think about our moral choices. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not everybody would enjoy that, but I I was pleasantly surprised by that. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Oh, I mean, or it's kind of like uh, like hurting a chicken in Zelda. Um, oh, does that does that happen in that? Yeah, you get. You get stormed by chickens. They are uh, <laughs> very vengeful. That's awesome. It and they should awesome. be. They yeah. should. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, okay. Do you want to do one more from your list? One more, one more. All right. Only one, Rob. Uh, which to pick? I felt, like, um, I felt like mine unfolded a whole bunch. I felt like, a, like there was like mine mm-hmm. came with a basket of recommendations. Uh, you know, I'm going to stick with playing, I think. And, uh, there's, there's, uh, kind of a, it's not really, it's not a game at all, but I think it's really neat and helpful. And I think other folks might be in a situation where, uh, maybe you have an old game system laying around and you like that, the controller that worked with it. Right. And if it's, if, if it's in the newer generations, say, let's say like we, or Wii U or, or newer, right. Or even like, uh, yeah, PlayStation. Well, PlayStation 4, it's, you know, the generation has been around a while. So you might have like PlayStation 4 or an Xbox One. Uh, there is this USB dongle that lets you use those controllers on other systems. And it's by 8BitDo. 8BitDo. Play yeah. your 8-BitDo controller, Switch Pro, Switch Joy-Cons, Xbox One, X, S, X, Bluetooth controller, PS4, PS3, Wiimote, Wii U Pro, and more wirelessly on Windows PCs, Macs, Raspberry Pi, laptops, and even Switch. Wait, wirelessly? Yeah. Right. Yeah, so it's not about wired uh, controllers, but there's a lot of controllers that are some form of, or that, that are Bluetooth, essentially. And, hmm. you know, with probably some little proprietary twist or whatever, but so 8BitDo figured it out. And so you can pair this, 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 um, this dongle. I've got mine right here. And um, it's a, you know, it looks like a little brick thing from, from Mario. And it's got a little button that you can use to pair. Once you pair it, you can pop it out and use that same controller at different places. 
Hmm. Uh, it's pretty, yeah, it's pretty clever. So it just appears as a, you know, as long as that system has, you know, has a USB port, you're good. So it's, it's neat to get reuse where, um, like it's, it's kind of funny. Um, once in a while I get over overzealous with, uh, game system peripherals. Not, you know, it's, I, I'm, I've been learning, so I'm not as crazy about it nowadays. Right. But, um, but even with the Wii U, I thought, oh yeah, I'm going to use that pro controller. And I barely use the pro controller because the Wii U has the, the, the controller with the screen and overall that provided a better experience for most things. Um, so, and then you could still use your old Wii, Wii motes. So, you know, if you wanted to play a multiplayer game, anyway, the, it was a rare that I needed this thing. Uh, but I like how it feels, and this got this gave, gives me a chance to reuse it. So I've got this old this old Wii U Pro controller, and it's um, you know, it's got new work, and it's, it's it works great. Have they ever made a? Has any company made a wireless version of the GameCube controller? Hmm. I I could probably uh, just do an internet search. I just didn't know if there was one that you had seen almost. Or... I see that the GameCube controller. Are you a so are you a big fan of the GameCube's? Uh... That was my number one favorite controller of all time. I loved that controller. And you're when... not alone. It's just interesting. It's like there are like that's so fascinating. So what what is it about it? Uh, I don't know. Something about the way it felt in the hand. The button configuration felt very intuitive and natural. I loved that. Like instead of being like four little buttons on the on the right hand side, it was like mm-hmm. one. Like the buttons had different sizes. It was very easy to like move my thumb sure. across there's, those buttons to know. There's which three. Ones. Yeah, there are, there's three sort of um, slightly um, curved uh, oval buttons, right? So they're kind of. Uh, uh, ovals with with flat sides or whatever so they kind of go around the circle but then there's the large button in the middle of the circle and it's yeah i so it's still four buttons but it does feel different and i i think you're right that the it reduces some of the ambiguity as someone who hops from a couple of different game systems when i go from the nintendo world to the um sony or microsoft world so challenging because they have that same four button arrangement um you know, X, X, Y, and A, B and, um, or I forget PlayStation. It's, it's whatever it's, um, what triangles X zero triangle square, right? Conceptually similar PlayStation and Microsoft feel the same button mm-hmm. layouts work the same. Mm-hmm. It's inverted on in, in the world of Nintendo. Mm. So anyway, so I'm always, you know, dealing with that, but like a controller that actually, doesn't really look the same, so you wouldn't expect it to behave the same. I, I think that's that's pretty smart, actually. Yeah, I didn't do a lot of um, platform hopping when I was really playing games. I was mostly in the GameCube world, so I spent a lot of time with that controller, and I remember when it switched to... What was the next one? The next one was the Wii, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Wii controller was... It was fine. It was okay. It felt like, okay, well, I got the hang of it okay, but uh, it still doesn't... Like, when I play my Metroid games on my Wii, uh, I break out my GameCube controllers to do it because it just feels so much better on that for me. Aha, nice. So. Well, you are not alone. There's I, There are a lot of fans of it. And so I don't know if there's um, a, a wireless solution, what have you, but wait a minute. Oh, let's see. I wonder... The Remember the Wavebird? No. Wait. Oh, okay. So there was a wireless controller for the GameCube. Oh. Called okay. the Wavebird. Okay. Um, yeah. Capturing that to look it up later. So I wouldn't be surprised. I wonder if the um, the 8-bit Doe thing works with a Wavebird. 
That would be awesome. Um, yeah. All right. So uh, that's really handy. Um, and then if there's a do do do, I think uh, just an, a, a side comment and how like what, what I'm reading or watching or playing totally they they feed in on one another. Where I ended up playing a lot of um, fighting games in recent weeks, just diving in here and there. I don't. I have enthusiasm, but not like I'm not like a wizard at them or anything. And um, they're like one that was pretty great. It was uh, uh, Marvel versus Capcom Infinite. Mm. And I've been playing that because of and playing other fighting games, even like classic ones, because of the um, the anime uh, High Score Girl. And they they just they come up a lot in that show. Uh, and it's which that show is is awesome. I I uh, I do recommend it. It's very very uh, cute and sweet where some you know, some kids sort of come of age where they have different backgrounds and interests but like they both care a lot about you know playing video games and uh and it's so ridiculously hit me between the eyes nostalgic as far as all the games that they're talking about and choosing but uh anyway so we're looking at it now marvel versus capcom Marvel versus Capcom. So what's what I enjoyed is is it has a very satisfying um, single player experience. I I like I like games with a great single player experience. I don't play online that much unless I'm playing with with friends. And uh, the uh, the there's it's like a, a clever, very f- quirky twist on um, sort of the. Uh, uh, the big Marvel story that recently happened in, in theaters, right? Those 22 movies that were basically about the, the infinity stones. And so this is another take on that, except with, you know, fun, a mix of characters from the universe of Capcom fighting games. Well, actually Capcom games, right? Cause there's even like Arthur, the King from ghouls and ghosts. ghosts. Yeah. You know, <laughs> going against like, uh like ultron <laughs> which is it's just a fun mashup and yeah. uh, uh but but they 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 do it with some silliness but pretty sincere like they're into the bit the whole thing and the the story is it's just delightful um and they did something where i end up finding just a couple of characters i get attached to and unless i'm really wanting to study a fighting game i don't play any other characters i just stick with that with this conceit, they plop you in scenarios and you end up playing different characters. And I got exposed to a lot more of the game because of that. Oh, neat. So, and the scenes are just funny and uh, it's, it's a great, um, it's like an action adventure, but played out as a fighting game. Oh, that's really neat. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, we, we are in this like, I mean, one of the, the upsides, if there are any, to all of these media consolidations is that we're in this golden period of crossover where everything's crossing over with everything. And you get to see Ghost Rider <laughs> interacting with characters from, what was that game? Dark, Dark Stalkers. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's pretty darn fun. <laughs> yeah. And Mega Man and uh, Rocket Raccoon hanging out together. It was, it was in the video that we were showing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. That is pretty cool. Okay, so Marvel versus Capcom Infinite. So, uh, are we ready to do the the break before we go into responding to leaner comments? Uh, I, that sounds wonderful. Looking okay. forward to chatting about those comments. 
Cool. All right. So uh, in a minute and 30 seconds, we're going to respond to some different things that people have been sending us over via YouTube comments, Patreon comments, and so on. And uh, and by the way, you know, you can always send us your reading, watching, playing uh, via, you know, an email or comments on the YouTube video, and we can bring them into the second half of future reading, watching, playing episodes. But before we do that, we have to thank some people who make this show possible. And those people happen to be the folks who support us on Patreon. Whoop. I was trying to hit the music. There we go. Patreon.com slash Leotard is the website. And what is it? It's a way for you to give us a monthly upvote. If you say, hey, I really enjoy the Leading to Art cast. I believe in Jersey. I believe in Rob. I believe in what they do. You can support us for as little, little as a dollar a month on Patreon.com slash Leading to Art. And I want to thank five people who have been doing exactly that. First up, Rachel Ross. Thank you, Rachel, for believing in us and what we do. You can find Rachel on Twitter at NYC Terrace at T-E-R-I-S. Also, thank you to India. India Swift. You can find India on Twitter at Old Swifty. Thank you, India. And Becca Hilburn, who gets a lot of mentions on the show. She does a whole bunch of like watercolor tutorials on YouTube. You can find Becca on Twitter and on all platforms at Natto Soup. Also, Catherine Sugru. Thank you, Catherine, for believing in us and what we do. You can find Catherine on Twitter at Cat with a K S O O G R O O. Cat Sugru. Get it? And finally, Ashley Knapp. Thank you, Ashley for supporting us for as long as you have. You can find Ashley on Twitter at Control-Alt-Lee. And you can join them all at patreon.com slash leanatort where you will find all the shows we make as well as the extra leans, the shows we record only for people who support us on Patreon. Those posts become an open mic thread where you can talk about whatever you want in a safe space with other fellow leaners. Patreon.com slash leanatort. Thank you to everybody who's been supporting us there. It means a lot. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for those awesome reads, Jersey. Yeah, you're welcome. You do that, you do that so well. <laughs> uh, just a lot, a lot of practice, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I do try to like, I, I try to like do, I, I, I've only had a couple different ambitions in life. I was talking about this at A2CAP, is that my range of interests is, it, when you really think about it, it's, it's exceedingly narrow. Like I like comics. I like communicating visually. I like helping and working with kids. I like my wife. And that's pretty much it. <laughs> and, and the, but then, um, but like there was like these other different times in my life where like when I was in second grade, before I decided I wanted to make comics, I thought I wanted to be a puppeteer. And I used to put on puppet shows for my second grade classroom every Friday. And I don't remember how that came about. It was too long ago now for me to remember how that was negotiated. But like I do remember doing it. Um, every Friday after lunch, I got to do a, a short puppet show. Um and then, like, there was a, a brief time where I thought I wanted to be an astronomer because I was, like, watching Carl Sagan's Cosmos, and I was really, you know, moved by his kind of storytelling. Uh, but then when I was, like, in my early 20s, I worked at a radio station for a little while. It's just, like, a part-time job. And I had to do, like, reads for the weather and for, you know, like, the bit at the end of, like, uh, radio commercials where they do the, the terms and conditions really fast. <laughs> really? Yeah, I, I actually. Yeah, huh. I got to do that for a short time and I really got a kick out of it because I felt like this was something that I didn't know. I, well, I, I knew I was good at talking fast because I'd practiced it as a kid because I was really like, I thought the micro machine guy was really cool. Uh, so like, I, I, like I, this is a job I showed up to that was like, oh, I could do this and I can do it good. And I did a good job of it. Um, and I thought like, it would be fun to do radio reads. So like, I'm thinking about that when I'm doing the the ad read for this is like, like, this is me exploring that one little tangential side dream that I had for a very short time. But uh, truth be told, most of the time when I was working at the radio station, I was drawing comics. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
Sounds like a pretty good gig. Yeah, mostly it was just me like just doing a couple of reads and then I would like turn on the satellite feed and then turn it down to like play a couple of uh, commercial carts. So I didn't really do much there. Just ate candy bars and drew comics. Uh, it was a cushy gig. Uh, okay, so what we're supposed to be doing some uh, reads. Oh, I, I'm supposed to hit some... I was looking for music to hit for this next part of the show. How about we do this? It's been a while. So we've had some Robotech on the show. There we go, yeah. Macross City. Now we're in the second half for real. Uh, so speaking of reads, what were you going to say, Rob? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, so there are a lot of ways people can get a hold of us and throw throw their thoughts, right? So we've got an email that we don't, I don't know, uh, I, I don't think a lot of people ping us there. It's like they might know our other, other emails or whatever, but like there's what, oh, no, no, we mentioned it in the in the closing. I don't remember it like with active current memory because we play a recording that I did about eight years ago about leaners aren't wieners. And there's, uh, so what is it? Uh, lean into art at gmail.com. And then there's um, the a little easier way is is the contact form on the site, lean into art.com slash uh, contact. And then there's, uh, of course, like YouTube comments. And then there's the Patreon, Patreon patron, me- you know, methods, right? So commenting on an episode, if you're a patron, um, uh, sending a message in there, it's a sort of message thing, right? And then of course, yeah, Twitter, blah, blah, blah. So there's just a bunch of different options for, for, th- for sending things at us worth highlighting. We check them all. Um, but like, it's, I think some we check more frequently and naturally than others. And, and because there's all these different ways, it's challenging sometimes for us to respond to all of them in a timely manner. That was another reason that I collected some of them so that we could respond. Like one of the messages we got is like two months old, and I haven't didn't respond to it at all. And it's like, okay, well, let's do it on the show, and let's let's thank some people who are taking the That's time out of their day to you know interact with us. Uh, yeah, we also got some private Patreon messages that um, you know we need to like make sure that we find some way to let them know to for them to let us know whether or not it's okay to read them on the air. Um, Agreed. Yeah, exactly. So, right. The, the more private, the, the context, the message is shared, um, then we really need to know if it's okay to, to read that on the air. Yeah. And uh, that's even a, like a little check mark on check box on the uh, contact form. Yep. So uh, yeah, pretty flexible, but yeah, thanks for gathering these Jersey. Uh, yeah. Should we get into some, yeah, I gathered for, for for this one. I gathered public comments, like stuff that anybody mm-hmm. can see. So even if it was a Patreon comment, but it was on a public post, so that way I don't feel like I'm, you know, being out of line here. So mm-hmm. uh, first up from Lean Into Art episode two seventy six, problem solving odds and ends, which we did last week. Uh, Joseph Coco t- chimed in and said, "Good luck with the watercolor comic," because I mentioned that I, that's the next thing I want to try. Is see if I can do an entire comic in like watercolor on paper. And he was very kind to remind me, you can always do digital corrections. That's true. I could. Uh, so that'll, that'll take the sting out of the actual throwing down the, the paints on the lines. And then he, he reminds me, uh, regarding Windows and files being PDF'd out of order, so this is another thing I talked about, like you know, like grabbing a bunch of files in the uh, Finder window, or what, what do they call it in Windows? Um, you know, the, the, the equivalent of the Finder window, like the folder view. Um, 
you know, in like just grouping them and then just like exporting them as a PDF, I was getting pages out of order. So he says, I recommend sorting alphabetically, naming them in the order you want alphabetically. Select all files in the Explorer, hold control and click the first file to unselect it. Hold control and click the first file again to select it. All files should be selected now with your file cursor, that faint dotted outline around the file name on the first file. Then right click the first file and either print to PDF or select create PDF. This is the only method that always works right for me. Thank you, Joseph. I will do, I will try that. That is exceedingly helpful. But then he also responded to um, my anger, my uh, frothing rage at scanning. <laughs> he says, we have an Epson expression, 11, what is it, 11000XL. It takes a while to scan, but no half page no half of page scans. It's pretty pricey and big, though. I'd recommend coercing the library into getting one. If you do continue continue scanning half pages, though, why not create a spreadsheet to keep you on track, and then you can listen to a podcast or whatever without turning into old man yells at technology. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's hard. I mean, some tools, they're... I, I, I get it. I get it. I, I empathize with your frustration, Jersey, and... Uh, uh, and as I do also turn into old man yelling at technology, but the, uh, which for me, I lo- I'll look at the clock and think, well, do I have time to automate this? Can I think of a way to do, you know, and then I might feel some satisfaction in building something that I probably could have just ignored automating it and finished the job without it. But I feel like I'm more correct at the end of the day, like this, this thing didn't beat me. I automated it. Ha ha. Anyway. <laughs> um, but that's funny. So uh, how large is an X, uh, Epson Expression 11,000 XL? 11,000 XL. That's a, that sounds big. I'm, I'm guessing I can do tabloid, which is 11 and a half yeah. by 17 in American okay. dimensions. Um, hmm. So, but yeah, I mean... I, I'm looking at, I'm looking at just getting a bigger scanner. Um, but I do like the idea of having some kind of, some kind of thing, some kind of list to tick off to let me know where I am in the list, like a spreadsheet, like you said, or even like maybe an index card where I write down the names of all the different pages I have to scan, so I can like check off where I am at any given time because I do lose track if I'm not, um, like when I'm actually naming the files. So yeah, checklist. That's really that's really smart. If I have a repetitive task. Anything close to that, that's, yeah, I, I do like to use a checklist. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Do you want to read the next comment? Okay. So there's a really short one here from <laughs> song, song, song Dance Geisha. Jersey, where's the He-Man throw? I'm gone a few weeks and everything is different. Yep. No He-Man <laughs> throw behind me anymore. Um this is kind of a drag because, uh, you know, I don't have my green room studio anymore where I had like an entire room of just for my stuff. Uh, if, you, if you haven't checked into the show in a while, uh, I don't live in Ann Arbor anymore. I live in Columbus, Ohio now. My wife got a job at the Billy Ireland Cartoon Library um, and Museum at the, on the campus of OSU, Ohio State University, which means that we moved to Columbus and uh, I... We're currently living in an apartment while we shop around for houses. And apartments aren't as big as houses often, <laughs> at least the apartments we could afford. Uh, so our studio is about 
two-thirds the size of my old studio, but both of our stuff is in it, which means some things had to go. Now, however, however, we did do an episode on this, like setting up studios recently. I showed this. Like, I do have some of my stuff out. Let me see if I can get a shot of it. Like, there's... Yep, okay. There's right next to my desk. I've got some of my He-Man stuff is out, mm-hmm. you know, but... um. For, for the most part, uh, you know, the He-Man throw is now in our living room, which is on a chair that I use to, when, when I need to feel safe while I'm watching TV, I cover up with that. So it's, it's getting used a little bit more than it used to, at least, because uh, before it was just in, uh, like on the futon that was in my art studio. Um, so there, there, there's the, the longish answer to Update. that comment. Mm. But I'm, I'm glad you're paying attention. <laughs> That, that, that you're noticing the differences it is uh, honestly the, your new studio has plenty of characters it, um, it seems uh, so um, just set up to get stuff done right and, and, and yeah I guess that that's a pretty different thing it's it's like there's there are workstations behind you and and uh, mm-hmm. can't really tell a sense of scale but like your other studio was was, was quite a, a library of stuff I um, if I had to pick one thing that I miss, not that anyone asked, it's the SDF one that was on the shelf that I would stare at once in a while. You thought I was looking at you, Jersey, but no. <laughs> <laughs> looking at the SDF one. Which yeah, that's there's there's a, a bunch of boxes in our laundry room right now that are just all that stuff from the green room studio that are just staying in boxes until we get a house. Um because mm-hmm. there just there just isn't the space. And and also I don't want to one year later, go through the whole business of packing all back up again. Let's leave it in the boxes. It's fine. Um, yeah, it doesn't feel quite as joyful as it did before. It feels a little bit more utilitarian in here, but um, because, like as you've pointed out, like the way Ann and I do our house, it's 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 almost like we love dusting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you you curate a space so amazingly well. I I have been and am inspired anytime i've i've come to visit it's uh there's amazing vignettes everywhere and that's uh that is super cool but that's not what i meant as far as my comment about the stuff around you to work Mm. i have a huge affection for places to work (laughs) you have problem solving devices all around you that seem very capable and useful and like you can make neat things with that and that to me is joyful so yeah, in, in a different way, right? I mean, yes, we've mm-hmm. got like right there is our letterpress that we use to do comics and cards with, and then like right over there is there's the, the art cart of mm-hmm. a whole bunch of art supplies and sketchbooks, and even that um, tool tool cabinet. It, it does have tools in it, but it also has art supplies in it, and then aprons for doing messy work up there, right? Um, so yeah, just that's a good idea. Just not as much, because um, like my my green room was both a place to play and a place to work. This feels much more like the work is 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 favored in place of play. Like Anna and I don't hang out in here, right? This when I'm gotcha. not working, I'm not in this room. Um, hmm. so that 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 feels different too. Um, yeah, there there we go yeah, again. I'll, Rob I'll found a little mini now. essay to go down just from a simple comment. <laughs> that's <laughs> true it's only two sentences here we are five minutes later um <laughs> how about uh let's see should we do like try to do a uh like speed round sure i don't know that way we can hit a few more comments yes uh all right so i'll, I'll do another one since uh okay. so this this one is um so 
let's see if it makes sense to do them both at, or at, at the same time or, or just one at a time. But because we have two comments about lean into art number 275 reflecting on a two calf. And first one is actually from uh, Joseph Coco. Once again, Becca and I encouraged a bunch of the young artists who were attending the show to talk to, let's see, who are attending the show to talk to programming about how they could be, how they could table next year. Uh, hopefully some of them will. I, I think so since this year, Becca traded comics with some younger tabling artists who she knew were attendees in previous years. So yeah, it speaks to the sort of the, the, uh, the lineage of that event. Yeah. That's the thing you hope for, right? You hope that like the culture will, um, will engender itself and repeat itself and, you know, form its own momentum in the people who show up, uh, who buy into the, the culture of the show. Right. It propagates. It makes a lot of sense. You go to something like that and it's, and you see people who are at all these different stages, but, but sort of together. And you, you think, I bet there may be a spot for me here. Like I'm, I'm excited about making comics and you can, you can kind of, I think you can see yourself at that event. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, that's the hope anyway. And and it's partially in response to something that I think comic cons suffered from in the past is a sense of competition. Um, like it would be in, in, I'm talking like 15 years ago when you go to comic cons, it really, there was this, uh, unspoken vibe of we're all competing for the same audience together and if you think about it that makes sense given that at that time diamond distribution was like the only channel to get your comics from comic stores were these little tiny places and there weren't many of them in order to be able to get comics so like you're competing for like very limited shelf space now post internet post um book publishers picking up comic books it feels like the the scarcity has almost evaporated. Like you can get your stuff to anybody if you find a creative way to do it. So we're not competing anymore. And, um, we should be sharing resources with one another to build each other up because there's plenty for all. And I feel like that's the vibe we tried to engender at A2CAF. And I feel like people like Becca show up and they say like, yes, I believe in that too. You know, Becca has been pursuing it in her own way. Uh, Natto soup again, mentioned her in the ad spot. Um, and so you, you find allies in that way to help you propagate that message uh, going forward. So that's cool. Good that is awesome. Time. Um, so, all right, next comment, uh, Courtney Hahn, I've been talking to my local galleries and library to try to start something like this. Speaking of a two calf, we talked a lot of in the episode about, well, how could someone go about replicating this? Um, because what if it's not, there's nothing like it in your area, which chances are there's not. So if, if you feel so inspired, it's possible to make it happen. And I enjoyed that story a lot too, where, where you, you describing how the first event, um, it just made it, it made it seem more possible and less daunting. Yeah. Um, still, still awesome, but like possible. Right. So every, okay. Continuing with Courtney's comments, uh, everyone wants, everyone wants it, but no one's done anything. This podcast really helped me understand the mentality I got to have to make something like a two calf. Also Rob missed you this year, which is really <laughs> sweet. I missed you, Courtney. And I missed going and I, yeah. Oh, shucks. <laughs> See, we did. Everybody did. Uh, you, you, your presence adds something to the show. Um, but yeah, yeah. Like to, to Courtney's comment uh, about like, you know, 
it's not enough to ask around and have everybody go, yeah, that would be great. And then what? Right? Like, and the thing that, just to summarize what we did with A2CAF and Kids Read Comics is we um, compartmentalized, right? It's like, well, I can do this if I can find somebody to do that, right? Like, I knew that I could develop the programming and I could help find the people to do the programming, but... I don't know where to get like where to get funding to get tables and chairs. Where do we find a rental space, right? Okay, well, now let's get a librarian in here so that they can help with that, right? Uh, I am really great in person at talking with you about like sharing the vision of something, but I'm not a writer, and I dread writing emails so much, so, so much. I, I almost choke when I write emails. It's so hard for me to do. Um, but Dan Mishkin, man, that guy can, he can do guest relations in person and in text so beautifully, and he can diffuse so many un- uncomfortable situations. He can smooth over misunderstanding so, so th- uh, thoughtfully and inclusively. Yes, he should be our front man, you know, things like that. Uh, a lot of people that we wanted to bring to the show wanted somebody to sell their books for them because that, that's the way book publishing works in outside of Diamond Distribution. Like, you don't want to do the hand selling. You hire a bookseller to do it. Okay, well, we can find a bookseller. So it's about, like, looking for the, like, establishing the, the, the desire is one thing, but then, like, fulfilling the needs is a totally different thing, and that's where you got to find partners, and you got to do some, some legwork to do that. And if you can make that their contribution discreet, so you're not asking too much of them, you know, you're just saying, like, can you do this one thing, then it's a lot easier to get them to yes. Right. So that's a pretty great addendum to that episode. Cool. Like, yeah. The advice for forming the team. Neat. Um, well, what do you think? Uh, we have one more comment here, but uh, should we save that for final thought? Break or, yeah. Sure. Final thought. Yeah. Final um, thought will be final comment. We'll do that. All right. Um, okay. So in about two minutes, maybe a minute, I'm going to try to keep it in a minute and a half. We're going to come back and, you know, finish off our discussion with one more thought uh, from the leaners. But before we do that, we got to thank some people who make the show possible. Those people happen to be us. We make the show possible. We make stuff and then we think about the stuff we make and we bring those thoughts to this podcast that we do every week. And the thing that I made that I hope you will check out is, and I mean, it just dropped today, well, maybe yesterday. Um, a comic that I drew like two years ago is finally in print Boulder and Fleet Mining for Trouble. And it is a what is it? 92 page trade paperback. You can get it on indieplanet.com. And it's the story, it's the ongoing story of my uh, adventures for hire, uh, a ambitious and cheeky bird who is, has partnered up with a very gentle bear. So gentle, in fact, that he doesn't really like to fight, which makes it harder to go on adventures because, you know, he's going to try to find the peaceful solution and maybe try to make the bad guys his friends. Um, which if you're trying to be like a very famous adventurer, it's kind of, you know, the people who befriend people aren't usually like celebrated heroes. Like if you think about like famous heroes in movies and stories, it's usually like this, this crusader who conquers bad guys. Uh, you know, Indiana Jones isn't like a hero because he got Mola Ram to be nice. <laughs> he threw Mola Ram to some alligators or crocodiles, whichever they were. Right. Um, hmm. So there's a challenge in that, and that's part of like the, the 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 dynamism of the story for me is like how can you explore like really awesome action adventure but with a peaceful message. And so, uh, in Mining for Trouble, they come across some mineral folk these these rock creatures who eat precious metals who have taken over a mine and and are threatening the miners so that they can eat all the precious metal, metals. And a fight ensues. And you can find it at indieplanet.com. You can just do a search for Boulder and Fleet or do a search for my name, and you will find it. It is what is the price on it? It is fifteen ninety nine, ninety two page uh, trade paperback, full color, and it is good for kids, 
And I would also say good for adults if you like lighthearted, cute action adventure. So, Rob, wow, that's awesome. I, I'm so glad to see this in print. It looks beautiful. And uh, yeah, can't wait to get a copy. Thanks. Um, super cool. So, yeah, I do have something to, to, um, briefly mention yes i have well there's a uh, there's a there's a workshop that i put together recently it's called drawing user journey maps to design user experiences and uh to collaborate where let's say you know, user journey map sounds like you know hey no big deal it's it's of course when you're 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 making so, you know, making a product or a service you think of like well okay who am I making this for? You think about your audience who, you know, and, but do, and even thinking about like, well, what's it like for them before they, they, they encounter your thing. And then when they first encounter it, but then, you know, along, along the line, you think of these, these steps and well, their journey. And that's pretty interesting and useful and maybe pretty obvious, but then there's a lot more to it. If you want to um, uh, sort of gather more ideas and get a, like a really deep whole picture and collaborate or even working uh, on your own. So just wearing different hats saying like, well, from a business perspective and add, add some layer of like, well, this is, you know, we would like to have this be fewer steps and how could we do that? Where the, how does this affect the user? All this kind of stuff. And, and you add the business layer, but then you can add an engineering or a design or a, or a making layer. Right. And then that gives you more insight to um, well, it'd be, we, we have this thing on hand, let's use that versus we could build this other thing and, and what have you, you get to think about making stuff. But then you can think about like, well, uh, what else do you know about your, your design world, your users, and make sure that you have all this, all this context there too. So you're really bringing together voices, either all the voices in your head together, or you're bringing in the voices of the people you're working with on this same journey, getting them on the same page at the same time. And then you can think about, well, what's obvious to do next with this product or service? What should you build first if it's new? What should you improve first if it exists already? So drawing user journey maps is, is a pretty handy collaborative tool. And you can take this, um, this uh, workshop I put together, it's only 47 minutes and it's divided up into, I think like nine little sections and easy to get through and bite sized and whatnot, all available at this place called Skillshare. And so Skillshare, it's kind of like a Netflix for learning stuff. And uh, a lot of folks um, who are passionate about different things, put together videos. And so when you go to Skillshare, uh, you have this monthly fee or you can pay, pay it once a year or whatever. Uh, and then you have access to all this stuff, not just my workshop. That's kind of neat. So if you would like to, to explore this, check it out and go to robstenzinger.com. There's an easy link right on that page with this, with an image linking, you know, to this, uh, this workshop, uh, drawing user journey maps. And there's a sign up page where you can get two months of Skillshare for free. So pretty easy and, uh, check it out. There we go. Robstenzinger.com and look right at the bottom, right next to the lean into art tile. Is where you'll find it. Mm-hmm. All right, but if you're here because you you know you like the way we think about stuff and you're not so interested in the stuff we make, fair enough. The show is the thing we make. There's more things like it at leanintoart.com/slash/workshops where you can download workshop self-contained episodes of uh, like classes that we've done. You can download it at a price of your choosing, even free. I know people haven't checked these out yet because every week I get at least one or two downloads of some of the workshops I have on there. So you can check out comics classes and other user uh, 
Well, let's go right here. Storytellers UI tools, turning jokes into comics, laughing Yeti monkey spaghetti, and making video games from your creator-owned comics. You can download them at a price if you're choosing. LeanIntoArt.com slash workshops. If you're watching the video on YouTube, giving us a thumbs up. Helps more people find the show. And if you're listening to it in a podcast app or a podcast catcher, whatever they call them, places where they uh, aggregate podcasts, giving us a five-star review wherever you listen to us helps more people find the show as well. That's that's important information to get into the algorithms that like, hey, I think this thing is good enough to say that five stars. That helps them promote the, the platforms to promote our show to a wider audience so that more people can come in here and make the show more sustainable. And we thank everybody who has been doing exactly that. It means a lot to us. Sure does. Uh, All right. Okay, so final comment, huh? Final thought, final, final comment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this goes back a ways. This is a few months old. This is from episode 269, uh, lettering and sound design in Clip Studio Paint, where I did some demos of um, you know, drawing in CSP um, and how I do sound effects. And Stephen Stone Bush, who is a Patreon supporter, said, Thanks for the demo tutorial. Been using Photoshop, since I'm comfortable with it, for comic-style art. And so far, it's never really clicked for me. But after seeing that short demo on Clip Studio Paint, I had a shut up and take my money moment to quote Rob from the episode. Does anyone have any advice on tutorial content concerning using the drawing tools, brush settings, and shortcuts? There's an overwhelming amount of tutorials on the subject out there. Thanks. Um, thank you, Stephen. And yeah, you're right. I mean, if you just start doing searches for Clip Studio Paint tutorials, there is a lot out there, which is a good thing, but it also means that like you got a lot to sift through and not everybody's going to like talk about it in and get to like your specific concern right away. Um, it, ma- it does make it challenging. So um, let's see if I've got it pulled up. I actually had the video pulled up here. Yeah. Um, fortunately, there was a series of videos created for what before clip studio paint was called clip studio paint. It was called manga studio. Super confusing. Long story, but now it's CSP, but it used to be called Manga Studio. And when they had Manga Studio available, uh, or when it was called that, uh, Smith Micro, the company who makes the software, had released a series of videos uh, with tutorials on using Manga Studio 5. And it was by a guy named Doug Hills. And they are very succinct. They are specific, they're very specific in their realms of, of concern. So like I actually have a link to it in the show notes. There is a nine, nine, 10 minute video on how to use custom brushes and how to make custom brushes in Maga Studio. I double checked the video with my version of CSP at the time of this recording and the settings, the menus are exactly the same. So it is absolutely up to date as of 2019. Um, but I would dig through all of those. If you're very new to Clip Studio Paint, Doug Hills does a really good job of getting to the point of what he's trying to teach you, explaining all of the reasons why he's doing what he's doing. And it, like I said, it's very, it's very pithy and succinct. succinct. It's not a two-hour-long video like what we did where you're going to have, you know, it's going to be hit or miss. What are we going to actually um, show you about how to actually use the application. And that's why I felt like that episode was more of an, the one we did was like an overview to say, here's some of the things you can do. And here's a very specific use case of how I use it to solve my problems. But, um, you know, there's no way we can cover everything. And that's where doing a a short series like this is really super useful. So um, Doug Hills, and it's the official Smith Micrographics account on YouTube will be a great starting place. Yeah, that is pretty handy. Um, it is interesting 
that uh, I mean, it's it's almost like finding a um, finding useful information on on a video game you're working to to get past. Uh, you know, and it's one of those topics where lots of lots of people um, share their thoughts. And in a variety of ways, right? Like you might find a yeah. video game podcast about like a with like a, a walkthrough of what you're trying to do, and it's the style of this one is two buddies giving each other the business while also getting to the point of you know getting to the gameplay, which can be very entertaining and can be like have its own value in that way. But if you're like, I just think of the time when I had to replace the faucet in my kitchen sink, and it was it was such a painful moment that it like it changed the way I thought about doing the Lena Tart cast because I went to YouTube going like how do I switch out my faucet and I found all these videos where it'd be like the guy's trying to sell me on his personality first or this guy would be like here's all the different kind of wrenches that you're going to use today and I was like I get the value of that kind of prep but like here's my specific problem like this gasket won't fit here why is it not working right like uh, video is not awesome at attending to really specific use cases like that, right? Because um, like if I would have had a plumber friend come over, he'd be like, oh, I know why, because I have all this white experience that I can sift through and scan through really quickly. Whereas you don't necessarily have that experience or expertise. So you can't scan through a video to know which part you want to get to and have the context of why this is the right solution, right? Really good point. And another twist in this whole thing where I don't know how this happens, but pe- uh, but sometimes in Google search results, uh, in a longer video, Google will say, go to this section, you know, jump, the, like we'll link to a portion of it. Oh, that's cool. And whatever pff, cleverness or magic that is, is working there. Cause I don't know if it's, you know, building off of how people are sharing and talking about a thing and then linking to that because you can, you know, pretty easily share links that, that jump to any section of a video. Mm, mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know, somehow they can show up in, in Google search results, which is, is uh, pretty handy because, you know, maybe uh, it just gets you the answer, right? That's what you need. Cause yeah. you know, in, in that's, that's pretty magical. Um, otherwise you still have some hunting as you're trying to, you know, you're, you're going through a list of like, well, this one seems like maybe try it. Nope. Try it. Nope. Until yeah. finally find a match. And, um, I don't know for better, or for worse, um, Google intelligence there. Well, that, that, that's, that's Taking a, a step. step in the right direction at least. Yes, I agree. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, again, like Doug, did I say Doug Hills? Is that how you say it? Yeah. Doug Hills is like, the, mm-hmm. I think probably still the best place to start if you're brand new to clip studio paint and you have some Photoshop experience, so like the transition shouldn't be too difficult. But there are the thing that I have to, I always wind up having to teach people when I teach Clip Studio Paint classes is that it does such a good job of getting the interface the heck out of your way so you can draw that sometimes you have to go down the primrose path to find where they've nested this weird little menu, right? And it's not, it's not always obvious where those menus are. So. No, and like anything, you pick up on patterns where there's yep. the general. It's like the tools have a couple layers of of settings and options, and they're kind of grouped in a way where it's like, oh, you have you're generally at this brush, but then there's a few a way way to jump around and select more specific brush and a way to have settings. I don't know, and you you get used to that, but uh, mm-hmm. but even then. Um, I remember I, th- I had a bunch of aha experiences during the episode that that you were demoing, so. Mm. 
I think part of what what I mentioned the uh, the Google search result too is like I love it when when there are videos that just do the, the great job like Doug Hill's videos, but um, it'd be neat if somehow the the Google mind uh, had links to our episodes and things <laughs> and index them for us because I be- know we have we have handy tips here and there yeah but like you know and uh, especially any time where we've said that's a good t-shirt idea yeah yeah oh, that would be nice that would be nice i would buy a sandwich for an algorithm that could uh <laughs> tell me this you know <laughs> so. anyway are you listening google there's a sandwich in it for you <laughs> honestly i would do it good so. to know yep <laughs> Uh, I think we did a podcast, Rob. What do you think? I think so. That was fun. Thanks, thanks for everyone who's who shared their thoughts in the comments. And yeah, uh, yeah keep on doing it. We see it. We appreciate it, and uh, would love to you know bring it to the show from time to time. And we record the show weekly, and we stream it live over YouTube for now. Still looking at other options on that as we approach the end of Hangouts on Air. Uh, we record it live and then collect it as a podcast at leanintoart.com and patreon.com slash leanintoart. We'll be back soon with another episode. Until then, I have been Jersey Drozd of leanintoart.com and Jersey Drozd on Instagram. And I've been Rob Stenzinger of leanintoart.com and I'm also on Instagram as Rob Stenzinger. Okay, bye. Show notes for this episode can be found at leanintoart.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the user LeanIntoArt, and you can reach us via email at leanintoart at gmail.com. And remember, leaners aren't leaners. Thanks for listening.